0: lovely ear viewers welcome back to part 2 de l'histoire de Mary Stewart. Um thank you so much for coming back. I hope you enjoy the second half of the story of Mary Stewart's life. Enjoy.
1: Marvelous. Let's do this. So, I'm going to be talking about Mary's later years. Shall we see? Quite a lot this time is highly political, so a lot of this stuff is kind of about what happened to her as opposed to her, if you get what I mean. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Indeed. So, at the end of November 1566, at Craigmiller Castle, Mary and her other nobles meet to discuss just what they should do about Darnley. Mm -hmm. So there is discussion That they could arrange a divorce Before talk Turns to removing Darnley By other means Wink wink Big on the wink winks (laughs) Um, So by now Darnley Has become fearful for his own safety And elects to stay At his father's estates in Glasgow Indeed it's the place to be So in the January of 1567, Mary requests that Darnley return to Edinburgh and on or around either the 9th or 10th of February of that same year, nobody really knows, uh, Mary visits Darnley at his Edinburgh lodgings. He is staying at the Field of Kirk, which was previously St. Mary in the fields prior to the Reformation. Post Reformation, a mansion is built on the site by James Hamilton, Duke of Chatelerault. Could be a silent sure. at the end, I don't know. Um, circa 1552. This building is situated close to Holyrood Palace and Cowgate back in the day. Uh, and a fun fact uh, these lands would ultimately be gifted to the city as the site of a new university. Which one? It would be the University of Edinburgh.
0: My old (laughs) hunter-ground.
1: Which was founded by James VI in 1582. Uh, The Kirkerfield site is now believed to be the location of the old college near the National Museum of Scotland. Mm -hmm. That means nothing to me, because I couldn't tell you where that is in Edinburgh. (laughs) Let's go. We can go. Um. So, Darla would be staying in the old provost's lodgings, um, within this area. During the early hours of the tenth of February, the house was destroyed by a gunpowder explosion. Oh yes, wink, wink.
0: <laughs> we love a
1: gunpowder plot. There you go. Um, so, a servant was killed in the house by the explosion, and it is said to have been, and I quote. A force and vehemency that one of the whole lodgings, walls another, there is nothing left which is not ruined and struck down in fragments to the very foundation stone. Basically, the whole thing will boom.
0: Go boom boom in the tune.
1: Thank you for that. Watching. Strangely, however, Darnley is discovered to have been unaffected by the explosion. Instead, his body and that of his servant are found partially clothed and abandoned in a nearby orchard. Bearing no mark or injury from the blast, they are believed to have been either smothered or strangled. Not
0: suspicious at all. Not At all.
1: So a witness says that they saw 13 men go into the cowgate, and both she and another eyewitness claimed that 11 more men followed soon after. James Melville of Hull Hill, who we have already met previously in this story, Mm -hmm. um, writes in his memoirs that a page had reported that Darnley had been taken outside, choked to death in a stable using a piece of cloth, before being dumped under a tree. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Lovely. Lovely. So on the 12th of February, the Privy Council issue a proclamation. That too is the first to reveal the names of any of the conspirators and the culprits, and even if they themselves took part in the plot, they would receive a pardon and rewarded with £2,000, which in modern money is approximately 476,450 sterling. So it's big bucks. That's a lot of money.
0: Big, big bucks. I'd take big, that in a flash. Big.
1: <laughs> You'd be... <laughs> you'd be right in there grassing everybody up that you possibly could. Yeah. There you go. So at Mary's lodgings the next morning, a servant enters her room to hang black curtains in mourning and light candles. This servant was given breakfast by Madame de Bryant, who was a lady-in-waiting of Mary's. Now, this servant observes de Bryant speaking privately with the Earl of Bothwell behind a curtain. Again, I say, not suspicious at all. Um, So this means that both Mary and Bothwell are elevated to main suspect status. Darnley's father, Lennox, demands that Bothwell be tried before the Estates of Parliament, but his request to the trial's delay, which was to give him time to gather evidence, is denied. Oh. Yeah. So Bothwell is acquitted after a seven-hour trial on the 12th of April. No evidence is presented to incriminate him in the crime.
0: Fingerprinting wasn't a thing back then?
1: It wasn't a thing back there. They had no photos, <laughs> nope. no crime scene photos, no fingerprints. What, what no evidence DNA. could you have? Absolutely.
0: That's my question.
1: <laughs> there you go. So Bothwell, after his acquittal, convinces a group of lords and bishops to sign what would go on to be known as the Ainsley Tavern Bond. So this document signed by those in attendance, would provide proof of their approving of his acquittal of Darnley's murder, recommended him as a replacement husband to the Queen, and mm. all signatories would also be bound to pledging to defend said marriage. Lovely.
0: Lovely. Lovely.
1: So a fun fact for you, one of the signatories was Gilbert Kennedy, Earl of Cassilis. And he has actually made an appearance on a previous episode.
0: No, I don't know. I can't remember. No.
1: So the Kennedy ancestral home is Colleen Castle. Yes. Yes. And Gilbert Kennedy was the gentleman that had a rather unconventional way of torturing a clergyman. Hmm. For those of you who haven't listened to this episode, go back and have a listen. Those of you who have will know what I'm talking about. Hopefully. Maybe, if you've retained any of that. It's fine if you haven't. So between the 21st and the 23rd of April, 1567, Mary takes a trip to Stirling to visit her son. As she is on her way back to Edinburgh, she is accosted by Bothwell and his retinue, where she is abducted. Now, it should be noted that it's actually not conclusively known whether this was willingly done or not. Okay. I will, come on, I will come on to this later. Okay, But okay. for the time being, she was abducted. She's taken by the men to Dunbar Castle, where she is... This is horrible. But where she is potentially subjected to a sexual assault by Boswell.
0: Oh, uh,
1: Boswell. Boswell is a bad man, let me tell you. Um, so yeah. this event is recorded by James Melville, who was present at the castle at the time. And he makes comment about um, her, to kind of paraphrase, to have taken her by force, shall we say? It's nasty stuff. Nasty, nasty stuff. Grim. It ain't nice. So on the 6th of May, Mary and Bothwell return to Edinburgh. Nine days later, they marry in a Protestant service at either Holyrood Palace or Abbey. Bothwell had divorced his first wife only 12 days previously. What a guy.
0: What a stand-up fellow. (laughs) Mm.
1: He's He's making Darnley look like a right angel at this point. So Mary initially believes that the nobles support this new marriage of hers. It becomes apparent, however, that many aren't actually a fan of it at all. And that's on both sides of the present Catholic-Protestant divide. So nobody's really happy at all. Uh, So those in the Catholic faith didn't recognise either Bothell's divorce or the Protestant service in which they were married as being valid. And both sides were overtly surprised that Mary would marry the man that was accused overwhelmingly of being Darnley's murderer. And at this point, it is believed that relations were not good between the couple. Mm-hmm. Not a good time. Ultimately, a group known as the Confederate Lords would turn against Mary and Bothwell, leading to a standoff between the two sides at Carberry Hill on the 15th of June, 1567. Mary's supporters carried the banner of the Line of Scotland, the Lords opting for a wee alternative piece of artwork they brought with them a banner that depicted Darnley's murder which is an image of him dead underneath a tree alongside an image of James the sixth complete with the motto and I quote judge and revenge my cause O lord and this had also been flown as a flag at Edinburgh Castle
0: Blinking an Def-
1: definitely sends a message
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the I don't- other side do you think they were trying to say something? I, just... I
1: mean, they could have been trying to hint at something, maybe? Yeah. Who knows? It's definitely a style choice, I will give them that much. Absolutely. So this standoff would drag on through what was a particularly hot summer's day. You know that one day we get up here in Scotland when the oh, sun yeah, is yeah, actually yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we all live for that one day in I'm the familiar year. with
0: it. When I don't we get live to for it. I, I dread it. I dread it every year.
1: You dread it every year? It's like that yeah. bit in Brigadoon when, when the mist parts and suddenly mm. there's vitamin D available for us. It's great.
0: I take supplements for vitamin D because I've got no time for the sun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so Boswell offered to fight singularly with any of the confederate lords, but then refused to fight the three that were offered to him. A couple that I believe, from what I read if I've interpreted interpreted it correctly, was because of their rank. Oh. They were lower than him. Mm-hmm. So Mary's forces slowly began to desert as the day dragged on. Two of Bothwell's supporters, knowing that it was his plan to ultimately leave the situation, made their apologies to Mary before leaving themselves. They were the Lairds of Wedderburn and a man by the name of Edmund Blackadder.
0: Blackadder, Blackadder. Yeah,
1: I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Which is the that. name of that character yeah. in that TV show.
0: Could I tell you a really quick fun fact?
1: Go for it, because I also have a fun fact. Maybe the, it might be the same fun fact that I have. Mine is about Rowan Atkinson. No, that's not mine. You go for it. Okay.
0: Um, so Rowan Atkinson actually stutters. Has it, has it, he suffers from... He's, <laughs> <laughs> you were <He's>, saying <laughs> he suffers from a stutter and uh-huh. the reason his companion was called baldrick Baldric, is because he finds bees was it bees really hard or really easy and that's why he always goes like Baldric. he always like punches it out because okay it's a, yeah there's a part of him overcoming his stammer in order to say the like the bee Oh, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a fun fact.
1: Yeah, it's an excellent fun fact. Um, So for those of you that don't know, that either aren't UK listeners, um, because we know there are a few of you, or just aren't familiar with the TV series, the surname Blackadder is perhaps best associated with the BBC historical TV comedy starring Rowan Atkinson. But did you know... The name is in fact that of a lowland Scottish clan. Blackadder. Yeah. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. So their land was at the Anglo-Scottish border and their motto was courage helps fortune.
0: That's a good one.
1: There you go. Learned something new, it didn't know that. (laughs) It's so strange because I always think of it as being like an old, well, I suppose it, it also is an old English surname. But yeah. Alice just thought it was exclusively that But no, apparently it was a Scottish clan There you go I love that So, sorry, back to Mary on the hill uh, <laughs> Knowing her cause was lost Mary agreed to surrender On the condition, however That Bothwell's safety be guaranteed <sighs> Mary,
0: She loves to defend a man Mary,
1: mate She really does I have thoughts on this, I will say at the end of the story Whenever we get there Mm-hmm. So this condition was agreed to, and Mary and Bothwell went their respective ways. Okay. It was only on her way back to Edinburgh, however, did Mary come to realize just how unpopular she had become amongst the Scottish public. As she passed, crowds relentlessly jeered and mocked, denouncing her as both a murderer and an adulteress. That's a very oh, hard Mary. word to say. Yeah, it's not a good time for old Mary. So Mary was imprisoned at Lochleven Castle sometime between the 20th and 23rd of July. It is during this time, just to make matters worse, Mary tragically miscarries twins and their bodies are believed to have been very hastily buried in the castle grounds. Mm. So not only is she having a bad time, not only is the public turning against her, the... Nobles of the country are turning against her. Her husband's a bit of a douche. Mm -hmm. Uh, She also miscarries. It's horrible. She has the worst Absolutely It's horrible. She really does. So on the 24th of July, Mary is forced to abdicate the throne in favour of her son, who would go on to become James VI of Scotland and the First of England. Ta-da! The big old witch prodder himself.
0: Which actually, which, um, which, ma- which Mary was also known for having a bit of a penchant for taking down witches, taking down witches.
1: I love that. There you go. It was yeah. a good pastime back in the day. So this act, which was entitled "Act Anent the Domission of the Crown in Favor of Our Sovereign Lord and His Majesty's Coronation," did you have to get more than the required words in the sentence? Every time passed every time, passed on the twelfth of December fifteen sixty seven. Murray was made regent and Bothwell was driven into exile, What I believed he went insane and died alone. Yay If I recall what I read, because I didn't write that down. I meant to do that, but forgot. But
0: every story but... has some happy endings.
1: Exactly, so there you go. He he really wasn't a very nice man, by no. the sounds of it. Um just no. <laughs> just no um so on the 2nd of may 1568 aided by george douglas who was the brother of william douglas the sixth earl of morton fun fact his mother was actually a former mistress of james V. wow a wee wild link between them all there you go yeah um mary escaped the confines of Lochleven castle the 13th of May would mark the Battle of Langside, a clash between supporters of Mary and the Earl of Murray, alongside those that supported James's accession to the throne. Mary marched towards Rutherg- Rutherglen Castle, going through the Glasgow suburbs of Langside and Crookston before going on to Paisley. Murray instead kept to the south of the River Cart, the body of water that intersects these areas. So Mary's army was commanded by the Earl of Argyll, who reportedly was highly inexperienced in military tactics. Not the guy you want to be leading an army. The story goes that he fainted under pressure of negotiating such a fight. Although, this is a story widely believed to have been perpetuated by the soldiers on Murray's side. So I think it's a little bit of an urban myth that started... From the soldiers, because... Trying to make him seem weak. Aye, basically. Yeah. So so the Battle of Langside lasted only 45 minutes. During which time, only one of Murray's men lost his life. Mary would lose 100 men, however. (sighs) Not good. It's a bit of a Battle of Culloden situation going on here. Yeah. Um... Despite being a rather questionable character, arguably, Murray is noted as being a highly astute and admirable fighter, his interjection with reinforcements and a counterattack being the deciding factor in the outcome of the clash. So, might not have been a particularly nice man, but he was a good soldier. So, okay. so to, to give him his due. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily on his side, but here we are. In defeat, once again, Mary makes her her escape to Dundrennan Abbey before crossing into England on the 16th of May. Mary, Queen of Scots, would never set foot in Scotland again. (laughs) Yeah. Mary. (laughs) On the 18th of May, she is taken into protective custody at Carlisle Castle. So... It is recorded that Mary anticipated Elizabeth I to support her efforts in regaining the Scottish throne. This expected support, however, wasn't exactly given. Elizabeth instead orders an inquiry into whether, one, the Confederate lords acted lawfully, and two, whether Mary was indeed guilty of the murder of Darnley. So this Darnley thing is very much still hanging over her like a big Dark cloud: Yeah, by this point, because there, is, there there is no answer, there's no culprit really
0: been given. Now, I've always thought and I don't know if this is like something that is the case, but in my mind, I feel like the death of Darnley and the servant next to him was meant to be covered up by the explosion. It, and it yeah. was a botched cover up.
1: It could be, yeah.
0: Just it idea. definitely looks like that. I'm sure other people have probably discussed that and thought of that as a as something. Because if they were if, you, if they were killed by strangulation or suffocation, then there would be very little evidence on the body post yeah, exactly, burning or blowing up. Yeah. So I feel like so, it was botched.
1: Or it was just a pretty useless assassin.
0: Yeah, or they got out of the explosion, but they were. But Darnley was the main target, so they had to chase him down. That's why he was in the garden.
1: Yeah. So, Mary is subsequently moved to Bolton Castle, which is a theoretical no-man's land, if you like. It places her further away from the Scottish border, but also means she is not too close to the epicentre that is London. So, she's just kind of in the middle. So, a, quote, conference is held in York. Probably what we would refer to as, like, an inquiry now it's held in New York and it's subse- and then moved subsequently to Westminster between October 1568 and January 1569. Meanwhile back in Scotland, the Marian Civil War has begun. Way! <laughs> more war. Uh, so this is a period of conflict that was fought between 1568 and 1573 and it was first sparked by Mary's forced abdication. Scotland was a friggin messy time. Yeah, during the 16th and 17th centuries, honestly, it's crazy. And the 18th as well. Just all over the place. So, it's during this conference or investigation into Mary's suspected guilt, salacious correspondence would be unearthed, referred to as the casket letters. Mhm. So these would be presented as evidence against her. Comprised of eight letters, two marriage contracts and 12 sonnets, they were allegedly, I stress allegedly, a reason I will come back to in a minute, found in a silver casket amongst Mary's possessions. So the marriage contracts appeared to show Mary's promise to marry Bothwell, and the other contract had been signed a month before Darnley's death. Contained within the sonnets were words of passionate, unhidden love, Mary allegedly declaring her adoration for Baudwell, she giving it all her efforts to seduce and convince him that they should be together. Mm. Letters also pointed to a conspiracy to murder Darnley, and plans to stage a fake abduction. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Mary alleged that these documents were meticulous forgeries, claiming that her handwriting wasn't difficult to replicate.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: Fair enough. There's also the other matter of these letters having been produced by the Earl of Murray, Mary's political opponent.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> also, none of them had been either signed, dated, or addressed. The alleged facts contained within them were also inconsistent with what was believed to be the truth. And then to make this seem even more suspicious, Mary's representatives were refused access to them. All the fishy business is up in here now. (laughs) So Mary was not permitted to attend the conference. She's sending representatives instead. The English council believed the letters to be genuine and across through the cross examining the handwriting of the letters with genuine works that were penned by Mary. So, fair. Nice. Elizabeth, after being presented the evidence, concluded that nothing had been proven. Okay. Okay. So this investigation is believed to have been a political exercise. It would have been highly risky to either convict or acquit Mary of murder and a verdict, if not proven, would keep the peace, if you like. So Murray returned to Scotland as regent, whereas Mary was still detained in England. So the evidence of the casket letters still continue to polarise historians. The original letters were lost, because of course they were, but the remaining copies have drawn various conclusions over the years. Some believe that they are a combination of truth and lies, scribed under false dates in order to deliberately cause misdirection. Others also believe that they are complete forgeries, designed with the single intent of bringing Mary down. So this was presented as pretty damning evidence when it came to trying to convict Mary of, or prove that Mary had something to do with Darnley's murder. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But (laughs) there is a high possibility that actually they were complete fakes Mm -hmm. that were just very well designed. And at this point, Mary is starting to be perceived as a threat so probably any and all evidence that's going to send her down is a good thing yeah (laughs) from the English side if you like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so Mary was moved to Tutbury Castle on the 26th of January 1569 where she would be placed in the custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury and his wife Bess of Hardwick by now in Elizabeth's opinion Mary is considered a serious threat to the English throne Despite being detained, Mary was still afforded a relatively comfortable existence. Okay. Yes. That's not so bad. Not so bad. She was permitted her own household staff, she had her own chefs, and her chambers were decorated with fine tapestries and carpets. Very occasionally, she would be permitted to go outside, albeit whilst under highly strict supervision. So... But what a luxury, being allowed to set foot outside the door. Yeah. Yeah. By the 1580s, however, Mary had become increasingly ill. Falling ill again with the potential liver nervous system illness. And she also developed a rheumatism in her limbs.
0: Mm.
1: She's not in good shape. No. She's not in good shape by this point. Mary's cause was not entirely lost, however. Okay. As during her imprisonment, various plots were devised to ensure her freedom and ascension to the throne. So it is May 1569 and Elizabeth mediates an attempt to restore Mary to the Scottish throne. This deal would be rejected by the Scottish novels, however. So good of them. So good of Mm -hmm. them. Then on the 23rd of January, 1570, the Earl of Murray is assassinated by James Hamilton of Bothwell Hall, who was a supporter of Mary. And a fun fact for you, Murray's assassination by firearm is the first recorded in the world. Wow! Yeah! So this makes him the first governmental individual to be murdered by this means. So see before your John Wilkes Booths and your Lee Harvey Oswalds, it all oh, started yeah. in Scotland.
0: <laughs> Way setting now a trend. Go- <laughs> what a
1: claim! This <laughs> say this country has started. Oh God. November fifteen sixty nine to January fifteen seventy would mark the Rising of the North, which was an attempt to depose Elizabeth I in favor of Mary. This movement was led by many high-ranking Catholic nobles from the north of England. Their belief that replacing Elizabeth with Mary would see the restoration of Catholicism in the country. In the end, however, this rising would be unsuccessful, doing nothing more than fueling the prevailing narrative that Mary poses a real, serious threat to Elizabeth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, apparently... If I remember correctly, one of the places during this rebellion that the Rebels took hold of was Bernard Castle, which you may have heard about in the news, the UK news Oh. very recently. Apparently they offer great eye
0: tests up at Bernard Castle. Oh yes, I've heard about this.
1: Yeah, it's a little in-joke for all you (laughs) living in the UK that know what we're talking about. (laughs) Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> oh, dear God. Mm. So, <laughs> Elizabeth's principal secretaries, Sir Francis Walsingham and William Cecil Lord Birdly, um, and they play spies in Mary's household, feeding them information from her place of detainment. Sneaky. So, next up, the year is 1571 and the Ridolfi plot is discovered. So Roberto Rodolfi was an Italian banker and Catholic and had been involved in the organisation of the Northern Rebellion. He believes, after seeing the failure of the previous plot, that they need to think bigger, should they wish to succeed. He determines that they need to cast their net wider. Reinforcements are required from overseas. Yes, yes. Yes. So also involved in this plot is Thomas Howard, 4th Duke of Norfolk. So Norfolk had been previously proposed as a prospective husband to the imprisoned Mary. And this was a notion he was eagerly willing to go along with. Oh.
0: <laughs> so, it's,
1: so it's noted that Norfolk often felt overlooked by Elizabeth in favour of others.
0: Oh. Elizabeth, you little... Slag.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Also, I think he was just a little bit of a social climber. It could be said.
0: I, I, I mean, yeah, there's that, too.
1: Yeah, there is that, too. So Norfolk agreed to be involved in the Northern Rebellion before bottling it completely. Good. He was imprisoned in the Tower of London for nine months and was only freed, although on the condition of remaining under house arrest... After he spilled all the beans On his involvement with the northern plot Saving his neck by pleading for mercy
0: Now Okay
1: It doesn't sound like the most trustworthy character To be involved Not particularly With a potential No Because if he spilled the beans last time He's probably going
0: to do it again Yeah You'd yeah. think so Yeah <laughs> once, once a bean spiller Always a bean spiller
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Once a grass, always a grass. Yeah. So the Rodolphi plot was as follows. To have the Duke of Alba invade with a force of 10,000 men from the Netherlands, stir rebellion in the north, because, you know, they already had previous on like the whole rebellion thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they were definitely in on it. Um, assassinate Elizabeth and replace her with Mary, who would marry Norfolk. That was a plan. Okay. The two prospective newlyweds agreed to the plot. Off Rodolfi goes to the continent with his associates, attempting to convince the Duke of Alba, King Philip II of Spain, and Pope Pius V to agree to this plot. Now, (laughs) Pius V had written papal bull Regnans in Excelsis in February 1570, excommunicating Elizabeth Mm -hmm. I and encouraging people to actively rebel against her. So it's safe to say he was not a fan of Big Queen Bess.
0: Yeah, I mean, same, to be fair.
1: Yeah, and also it didn't do much help either, because then those of the Catholic faith were just subsequently persecuted more in England. Love it. Lovely. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth's court, however, becomes aware of a potential plot to take her life.
0: Oh, shoot. Yep.
1: Yeah. Elizabeth herself is sent a private warning from Cosimo de' Medici, who I believe we've already heard of that family, was the Grand Duke of Tuscany, he having become aware of the machinations of the Rodolfi plot. Charles Bailey, a messenger of Rodolfi's, would be forced to confess under torture the natures of the letters he was discovered to be carrying as they were all written in code. hmm So they weren't completely stupid.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> they weren't completely stupid. And I love a puzzle. You do love a puzzle. You'd be right on that. Oh, yes. Escape room style. 100%. So it's the 29th of August, 1571, and Norfolk secretaries William Barker and Robert Hickford entrust a bag of silver to Thomas Brown. Not spelt my way, though. It's getting at the end. Mines doesn't have any at the end. Brownies! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we call ourselves plural. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the brownies.
1: Um, and he was a Shrewsbury draper. Sure. Except, yeah, except this bag seems suspiciously heavy to be merely containing silver. Okay. So, Brown, daring to take a little sneaky peek discovers the bag really contains £600 worth of gold. All the monies! Yeah. This discovered money, alongside coded letters, was given from the French ambassador and it was destined for Scotland on behalf of Mary. Norfolk servants are arrested and interrogated with Norfolk himself, claiming that all this money was for his own personal use. Little does he know, however, that the code has been cracked. The ciphered letters revealing him to be a big fat liar. Oh no. Yep. He, just to add insult to injury, yeah. he also believes that these letters are no longer in existence as they were always to be immediately destroyed upon reading. <laughs> oh. Oh, you couldn't make it up. <laughs> So on the 7th of September, and Norfolk is ordered to be taken back once again to that fortress on the Thames. Off he goes back to the Tower of London, a place he's very familiar with, <laughs> where he admits his part in the Rodolfi plot. In January 1572, Norfolk is found guilty on three counts of high treason, beheaded on Tower Hill on the 2nd of June. Yeah, it didn't really go well for him. The plot is unsuccessful. Now, let's just rewind a little bit to the start of this plot. How on earth did de' Medici come to know that this existed? He's so perturbed by the plan, he made a personal warning to Elizabeth. Okay. Well, Signor Rodolfi had a little habit of talking. Good. He wasn't particularly discreet when it came to concealing the details of his plan whilst in Europe. In fact, he himself told the Medici of the plan. You literally couldn't make it up. Why and idea? after all this, Rodolfi actually escaped execution as he wasn't in the country when everything started kicking off.
0: <laughs> Lucky Rodolfo. Rodolfi. Dolphy. <laughs>
1: So, still imprisoned, still powerless, another plot on Mary's behalf fails. And just to put the boot in even more, the casket letters are leaked, inverted commas, making them public knowledge and only denouncing Mary further.
0: That's not what you want.
1: It's not what you want. It's really that that is a PR disaster and a half. Honestly, you didn't have spin back in those days. No. No. So in 1583, another plot would read its rebellious head, Francis Throckmorton, which is a name we've already heard, Mm -hmm. conspired to overthrow Elizabeth by means of invasion with a French army, the cost covered by Pope Pius V and King Philip II of Spain. Did it work, however, I hear you all ask? No, it did not. No. Throckmorton was executed in July 1584 and to make matters just that little bit worse Mary's perception as a threat is only fuelled further <sighs> The failure of the Throckmorton plot leads, Mary's, leads to Mary's isolation and confinement in Staffordshire She is permitted no visitors and is effectively subjected to an existence in solitary confinement She's really not having a good time with it lately.
0: No <laughs> it makes me so sad I love Mary I know
1: so these attempts on Elizabeth's life called for action and it led to the creation of the Bond Association created by Walsingham and Cecil in 1584 it stated that all whom signed this document could execute anyone that attempted to usurp the throne successfully usurped the throne made an attempt on Elizabeth's life or successfully assassinated Elizabeth The signatories would also be obligated to hunt down the killer. So it was becoming law that if you were found to be associated with any plot to kill the queen, your head's coming off. Mild spoilers ahead. (laughs) But also, just a little sneaky fun fact for you that kind of sort of refers back to a story on a previous episode. Um, So, relatives of Throckmorton, by blood or marriage, were involved in the gunpowder plot. Hey! Yes! And this included Francis Tresham and Robert Catesby. So, by 1584, Mary is seemingly without friends, and there appears to be no hope on the horizon. Perhaps it is best to call a truce. She proposes a, quote, association with her son. She agrees to stay in England and will willingly abandon any and all pretenses she has to the English throne. She also says that James should marry with Elizabeth's knowledge and says there should be no change in religion in Scotland. All she asks for in return for her compliance was that the conditions of her captivity be alleviated. In perhaps one of the most colossal kicks in the teeth in history james instead signs a treaty of alliance with elizabeth literally james. abandons his mother <laughs> james uh, james jimmy what are you playing at uh,
0: uh, he doesn't have a lot going <laughs> for him i've already slagged him off in episode six but, yeah um he's just he's a bit of a tool
1: Yes, a bit. That's a very good word for him. Yeah. So Elizabeth also rejects Mary's terms as she didn't trust her to stop plotting whilst they entered into potential negotiations. Now, to play devil's advocate here, I kind of get that. Yeah. I can understand that Mary is in a horrific, horrific position and I have all the sympathy for her. But... I can understand why Elizabeth didn't trust her, because if she was going to continually keep plotting, then she's going to be a threat if she's set free.
0: Yeah, of course. So, Yeah.
1: I don't think it's fair she was in solitary confinement, but...
0: No, that's cruel. <laughs> I, that is cruel. I understand,
1: yeah, I understand Elizabeth's thinking. She can't be trusted because she has previous.
0: Yeah. Basically.
1: It is the 11th of August, 1586... What's so important about the 11th of August, Chris?
0: Is it your birthday? It is my birthday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned the year before the birthday chat, but it was 1586 that we're in. What a year? And whilst, outri- whilst out riding, Mary is arrested, having been discovered to be implicated with the recently uncovered Babington plot. It's a really hard surname to say. <laughs> So you recall that back in 1585, Elizabeth orders that Mary be transferred to Chartley Hall, Staffordshire. Part of her conditions of imprisonment is that she be denied any correspondence with the outside world. Walsingham and Cecil come to the conclusion that Mary needs to be removed permanently. I think we can all guess the implications of that word. And the best way to do this, with all their new legislation is by implicating her in a plot to overthrow Elizabeth. Such a discovery would lead to her guaranteed execution. Walsingham said of Mary in correspondence to the Earl of Leicester, quote, So long as that devilish woman lives, neither her majesty must make an account to continue in quiet possession of her crown, nor her faithful servants assure themselves the safety of their lives. Basically, while Mary's still living, she's always going to be a threat to all of us. She I think said is what she wasn't going to be. She did say that. She did say that.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, just, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. So, Mary and conspirator Sir Anthony Babington correspond in ciphered letters. The nobleman assuring Mary that he will keep her informed of any and all developments. All of this takes place through a secret Network of communications Their letters unable to fall Into their own hands Or are they? Mm. Of course They are Yeah. Yeah. Spy Gilbert Gifford And his associates arrange the movement Of letters inside watertight Casings placed In the stopper of a beer barrel So actually it was a very ingenious idea That's
0: very clever <laughs>
1: you are going to smuggle out letters so thomas philippe is also employed as a cipher and language expert tasked with the decoding any letters between the two unbeknownst to mary and babington each and every letter is intercepted decoded and read by walsingham so they're up to their necks without really knowing it yeah. The contents of Mary's letters convey her worries regarding the harsh treatment and persecution of those of the Catholic faith. And she also expressed her support of the proposed plot. She would ultimately sign a letter saying, quote, Let the great plot commence, signed Mary. No. No. Nah. The metaphorical axe that has been swinging over Mary's head has finally fallen. This is all the evidence that Walsingham and Cecil need. Mary, Queen of Scots, has been caught conspiring against Elizabeth
0: I. Mary! (laughs) What a foolish mistake. Maybe she didn't hear the news from inside her little trap tower that the laws were put in place. She maybe didn't have access to her phone.
1: It's so frustrating.
0: Well, there's nothing we can do about it now.
1: So Mary arrives at Fotheringay Castle on the 25th of September and is placed on trial for treason in October. She denies any and all charges against her, argues that she has been denied access to legal counsel and wasn't permitted to see any of the evidence that proved her guilt. She also states, as an anointed queen of a foreign quote-unquote country, She has never been an English subject. Therefore, she believes that she cannot be convicted of treason. Which is a very interesting argument, actually. Which makes sense. Yeah, good. So despite her protestations, however, Mary, Queen of Scots, is found guilty of treason and is sentenced to death. Only one lord of the court protests the outcome. Interestingly, however... Elizabeth remains cautious about executing Mary. Mm-hmm. So there were, very, there were many variables to be considered in this situation, particularly any repercussions that would threaten her throne, even if Mary was out of the way. For example, what if James joined with Catholic powers and invaded England? That could have been a threat. And executing a queen known to be of the Catholic faith could cause uproar amongst those that supported her. Yeah. So it was very risky business. So Elizabeth quietly asks Mary's final jailer to find a way to, quote, shorten her life. Wink, wink. Wink, Mm -hmm. wink. But he refuses. So effectively, Elizabeth was basically saying... Can you not just like poison her or something like that? Like, just. Yeah, do something
0: on the sly. Yeah, basically. Yeah.
1: Elizabeth I finally signs Mary's death warrant on the 1st of February 1587. Two days later, on the 3rd of February, the Privy Council of England, summoned by Cecil without Elizabeth's knowledge, which is bad, bad. (laughs) It's very sneaky. Um, And he sets out to carry out the sentence immediately. So Mary was informed of her execution on the evening of the 7th of February, where she requested she be permitted some time to put her affairs in order. She was told no, however, it said that, quote, she must die now.
0: Oh, God.
1: Imagine going through all that just to be told that. It's awful. Ugh. So, she spent that evening writing her will, gave away her possessions to members of her household, and prayed. She also wrote a letter to the King of France, and a fun, eh, fact, this letter is actually now kept at the National Library of Scotland.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's cool.
1: Yeah. So, Mary's execution was to take place in the Grand Hall of Fotheringay Castle on the morning of the 8th of February, 1587. A scaffold was constructed draped in black cloth, upon which held the block and cushion for her to kneel on. The Earls of Shrewsbury and Kent would be witnesses to the execution on the scaffold. <sighs> this is where it gets pretty gruesome, far, friends. It's not fun. Yeah. So her executioner kneels before Mary, asking her for forgiveness. And this was actually a common practice in executions she responded and i quote i forgive you with all my heart for now i hope you shall make an end of all my troubles also can you imagine if you're an executioner and the person you ask for forgiveness and the person you'd execute is like no nah, you're not having it you're about to cut my head off get it around you
0: yeah i mean i <laughs> i feel like that would probably be why exactly what i would say Exactly. Yeah.
1: She was very good that she did. say She forgave him, but...
0: She's a better person than me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So her servants helped her remove her outer garments, beneath which she wore a crimson brown petticoat and sleeves. Now, crimson is the liturgical colour of martyrdom in the Catholic Church which is perhaps a little glimpse into Mary's views regarding her situation. Mm-hmm. So she implies that she's going to die a martyr and is effectively just sticking two fingers up to...
0: Yeah, <laughs> up fair enough.
1: Everybody else.
0: Do as the Scots do.
1: So she is blindfolded and guided towards the block where she kneels. There she prays her last words, In, manu- in manus as Domine Commendo Spiritum Meum, which translates as, Into thy hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. The executioner raises his axe and then lets it fall. Where he misses Mary's neck entirely! Yeah. (laughs) So to add insult to now literal injury, the executioner strikes the back of her head instead of her neck. He strikes a second time and still her head refuses to be taken off cleanly. It's still attached by the grace of a piece of ligament or tendon. Mr. Executioner has to cut through this with his axe. Brutal. Vile. It's awful. Awful. Oof so it is said that her face was entirely unrecognisable after her decapitation with one witness claiming that her mouth continued to move for quote a quarter of an hour which is a phenomenon that actually has been widely reported in many
0: muscles and stuff all spasming and yeah
1: yeah it's it's nasty it's horrible so the executioner held her head aloft, declaring, quote, God save the Queen. From beneath his grip, the head drops to the floor, leaving him holding Mary's auburn tresses in his hand. It is revealed that Mary had been wearing a wig, her real hair short and grey. Oh, Mary. So there is also the question of the presence of Mary's pet dog. Yeah. Now, hear me out for a second, because (laughs) there is some debate whether this is true or not. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Um, It is said that Mary had concealed her small dog beneath her skirts, it emerging after the fatal blow had been struck. The story goes that the animal refused to leave his mistress's side, settling itself amongst the blood that had spilled between her head and body. The historical accuracy of this anecdote has been called into question, however, as the event is not recorded in any of the extensive accounts of the execution, which does imply that this is just a highly gothic decoration that added to the story at a later date, but also it could be founded somewhere in the truth. Okay. Nobody really knows, because it's quite a specific thing to (laughs) invent, but... There's just, I don't think from what I read, there's any formal record of it. But it is a story that has persisted as being related to Mary's execution. Mary's request to be buried in France would be denied by Elizabeth, she instead interred at Peterborough Cathedral. Her body would be exhumed by the order of James, however, remembering that she was his mother. Um and she reinterred at Westminster Abbey on the eleventh of October sixteen twelve. The sculptors of her tomb were William and Cornelius Cure. Aren't they just the that, that is not the best name? Yeah. Cornelius Cure? I
0: like Brilliant. Cornelius. Love
1: it. So her tomb is in a chapel opposite to Queen Elizabeth the It's
0: a kick in the teeth.
1: It is a little bit.
0: <laughs> Be furious.
1: So just to round things off I thought I'd do a little funsy bit. Well it's not really funsy but Mary's character and history has been subject to numerous adaptations over the years with numerous films, fiction and non-fiction books, TV shows, theatrical and radio plays and operas depicting the life of the Queen of Scots. Actresses that have portrayed Mary include but not limited to Catherine Hepburn Vanessa Redgrave Samantha Morton, Sir Ronan, Joan Crawford. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Gerda Stevenson, Ellie Bamber, Leah Williams, Juliet Stevenson, Martha Howe Douglas and Jessica Ransom that both portrayed her in Horrible Histories.
0: Horrible Histories. Love it. Love it.
1: So I've just picked out a little tiny handful of notable adaptations across the years that are quite relevant okay. to what we discuss on this podcast, <laughs> just to round things off. Okay. So first up is Mary Queen of Scots Got Her Head Chopped Off, which is a 1987 play by Liz Lockhead, who is former macker, which is the National Poet of Scotland, for anyone that doesn't know, and former Poet Laureate of Glasgow. The work premiered at the Edinburgh Festival and presents the story from a female point of view, discussing how femininity could be both suppressed and weaponised in such a male-dominated, cutthroat world of the mm-hmm. time. If you pardon the phrase "cutthroat," but you, you get what I mean. Yeah. You get what I mean. There's also Maria Stewart, which was an 1800 play by Frederick Schiller, which depicts the last days of Mary, Queen of Scots. This play was revived in a new version at the Almeida Theatre in 2016, starring Leah Williams and Juliet Stevenson. Both actors learned the roles of Mary and Elizabeth, and their casting for each show was decided by the literal spin of a coin. Wild. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's cool. So
1: they would literally flip and or spin a coin every night to see which role they were going to play for that performance, which is brilliant. I love that.
0: I want to do that.
1: Yeah. Slightly stressful, but... (laughs) Yeah, but still. (laughs) Also great. Then there is also Maria Stuarda, which is an 1835 opera by good friend of the podcast, Gaetano Donizetti. Yeah. Who's once again adapting Scottish history for the operatic stage. For those of you who haven't listened to episode three he wrote an opera based on a Scottish novel, which is in turn based on a real piece of Scottish history. So this work was based on Schiller's play and is considered one of the three Donizetti queens repertoire, which definitely sounds like a drag show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's really weird. Um, So the other two of this trilogy, if you like, being Anna Bolena and Roberto Devereux. Nice. So there you go. We then also have Mary Queen of Scots Which is a 2018 film Directed by Josie Rourke In her feature film debut Starring Saoirse Ronan as Mary And Margot Robbie as Elizabeth The production filmed extensively In locations across Scotland Many of which you can actually visit Which we love Love that Uh, So Visit Scotland have a resource Entitled On the Trail of Mary Queen of Scots Which is an interactive map Online that displays both film locations used and the places the real Mary has visited. I like. I really like the film. It's quite slow paced. Okay. <laughs> um, that's not really a complaint, but it is quite slow paced. But I do recommend it because the cast is pretty legit.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very and so good cast. Is incredible. You've,
1: yeah. You've got the two of them. You have, like. Jack Loudon, Guy Pearce, Adrian Lester, David Tennant pops up with John Knox with his dodgy beard. Good, yeah. Um, Who else is in it? Gemma Chan's in it. It's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant cast. And also, my tiny claim to fame (laughs) is that my very distant cousin is also in that film.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh, my tiny claims of fame. Yes, my mother's cousin's son, so that makes us what, like third cousins once removed or something like that, is in Madey Queen of Scots and plays the Earl of Murray. And it has just been announced that he and Sir Sharonin are going to be starring together in Macbeth at the Almeida Theatre, Love which that. is crazy. <laughs>
0: that's so cool we should go and see it and be like
1: hi hi i'm technically related to you (laughs) it's so weird it's so weird because we've never met because we've got such a large extended family and our paths have never (laughs) crossed. it's really strange but yeah that is the tale of mary queen of scots what a life it really is. It is a tale of epic
0: proportions. Really awful. She
1: went through a lot. A lot. It was not a fun time. I
0: feel like up till about the death of Ritzio, she was having an okay time. Yeah. I mean, obviously she lost her first husband, who may not have been... He may have been less of a husband and more of a best pal, by the sounds of things. Yeah. But awful. And I think the reason that I wanted to keep all this stuff in personally about how she was perceived by the people in, Fran- in mm-hmm. France and what she looked like and how charming she seemed to be was because you don't really hear about that. You only hear about her being imprisoned, a conspirator against the Queen. Yeah.
1: Nine times out of 10, you hear about how crap her life was Yeah. at the end. You don't really hear about what she was like as a leader, as a politician, as anything that kind of like validates her position.
0: Yeah. as queen of scotland. It's such a shame.
1: It is a shame.
0: I was just going to say, have you heard the latest news that broke this week?
1: Is this about somebody stealing some possessions?
0: Yes. Yeah. So just this week it was announced that some things in a 1 million pound raid on Arundel Castle which is down in England. Um and some of the items stolen include the gold rosary beads that Mary Queen of Scots carried to her execution, uh, there are coronation cups given to Mary, given by Mary to the Earl Marshal, and lots of other bits and bobs, and it all added up to £1 million stolen from Sussex, I think is where that castle is, uh, which is not good.
1: It is not good, because not only are these items of high monetary value, they're of high historical value.
0: Although I have one, one small question. Why do we not have her rosy ruby beads?
1: That is a very good question, actually, and I do not know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, I feel like she was, I don't know, I may be being a little bit too territorial about maybe. Well, no, because
1: I can understand the whole, she died in England, so... They probably would have stayed in England.
0: Yeah. Sort but of she was thing. But was also uh, our queen. It does feel
1: like they should be up here in, like, Hollywood House or... Yeah. Some, yeah. They, uh, yeah. I feel like they should come home, personally.
0: Agreed. Well, um, or France, because she loved France so much.
1: Or France, yeah. Now, that's the thing, is that Mary Queen of Scots is nine times out of ten portrayed as having a scottish accent when actually <laughs> she would have fully been french
0: would have fully been french
1: fully been french
0: yeah because Which... she was five when she moved over there and she lived there till she was 16 17 yeah so she so, definitely had a french accent yeah 100 percent. i can live somewhere uh, for two weeks and i'd develop the accent so that's
1: true it is a talent of yours (laughs) it's just a habit
0: it's a really bad habit that i will i will adopt the accent i will adopt the accent of the person i'm talking to oh
1: i'm sorry that means every single time that you talk to me every week you end up talking in a glasgow uni accent for
0: well don't you worry (laughs) hours after i defy the odds that's the one time i never take on the accent kidding on your accent's not fair enough i wouldn't recommend it you haven't really got to me the glasgow uni accent it's much better than the edinburgh uni accent the edinburgh uni accent is yeah 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 yeah." it's all that
1: okay i definitely don't have that yeah
0: edinburgh uni accent is awful thanks no probs the first time i remember at university i remember the first time i actually heard somebody saying yeah instead of yeah i was like who are you where are you from (laughs) are you german if you're not german don't be saying yeah
1: Oh my god, that's I was furious.
0: awkward. Ugh. As always, please pop along to our Instagram and our Facebook, give us likes and follows there. We post all of our corresponding photos up there every week and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story along with our Magic Hat Mondays where you can give your responses to our questions. Our We Love a Link Wednesdays, where we join links between different stories that we've told. And of course, Fun Fact Friday, where you will learn some kind of fun Scottish fact.
1: If you happen to have a question for the magical hat, if you either email us or message us over, it will be written down on a little sheet of paper, folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes. Also, if you happen to own an Apple device, if you could head on over to that little purple logo of Apple Podcasts and leave us a little review, it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world.
0: And thank you for listening to A Wee Bit Gothic.
1: Was that Gothic?
0: A Wee Bit. So sorry. I dropped my mango.